I'm John Gooding, Digital Editor at the Lowe Institute and Associate Editor at The Interpreter. And I'm speaking with James Curran, a professor at the University of Sydney's History Department and author of the upcoming Lowy Institute paper, Fighting with America. James, thanks for speaking with me. Pleasure, John. Uh, first, what are your initial reactions to the results tonight? Well, I think like many Australians and indeed uh, like many uh, around the world, especially in the capitals of US alliance partners, uh, America has taken a great plunge into the unknown. We don't know uh, what a Donald Trump presidency will contain. We have some idea of his views towards the world and towards alliances. We have some idea that if he's to be taken at face value, that he in some ways wants to trash the post-war international liberal order in his hostility to the alliance system, in his hostility to free trade. So there's a great deal of anxiety and there's a great deal of nervousness, I think, about this result. Um, this is a very different kind of America that Australians have been used to. You know, I think Australians in many ways um, are still very much harnessed to that view of American leadership that has so characterised uh, the post-Second World War era and certainly the um, post-Cold War era, notwithstanding some of the uh, great strategic mistakes that have been made in American foreign policy, whether it be Vietnam or the invasion of Iraq. Uh, nevertheless, um, Australians have had a great uh, identification with the United States and a very solid alliance that has lasted through many, many different administrations and many different Australian governments. And quite understandably, I think uh, when these results are, have come through tonight, uh, there would be a great deal of fear and trepidation amongst some, certainly in Canberra, about what this means for the relationship. So what fears that Australians have about a Trump presidency do you think are legitimate and what are perhaps a bit fanciful? Well, I mean, you know, we supposedly were given some reassurances by the Trump campaign that his comments on alliances did not apply either to uh, the United Kingdom or to Australia. Uh, we, got a, we got a kiss and a cuddle from Rudy Giuliani uh, to the Australian ambassador, uh, which supposedly um, was enough to uh, soothe, I think, some pretty rattled nerves. But if you look at Trump's comments about the transactional way in which he treats alliances, certainly with the Koreans and the Japanese in which he wants them to pay more, if not the total cost of housing uh, American troops in their country, um, why wouldn't he take a more transactional approach to the Australian alliance? I think the intelligence relationship, the military relationship will remain virtually unchanged, but I do think it was instructive that before the election there was great haste uh, to try and sign off the deal on the Darwin Marine rotation. And I suspect, you know, this was a long-standing disagreement between um, Australian and, uh, and the United States government, but nevertheless the haste with which to try and conclude that before the election, I suspect part of that was driven by a concern that Trump might not honour the deal. So there are, there are a lot, I think there are a lot of legitimate concerns. I do think, however, taking the long view, Australian foreign policy has had bigger jolts and bigger shocks than this before. I mean, if you were to go back to the 60s when Britain announced its intention to join the EEC, when it pulled its military from east of Suez, in other words, from Southeast Asia, I mean, you had newspaper headlines saying, waken to our peril. Um, I'm not sure this means a full US retrenchment from Asia. I don't think it does. I think there'll be enough in the national, enough people in the National Security Committee in, community in Washington who will at least modify some of the more lurid prescriptions that Trump has for American foreign policy in this part of the world. 
But I go back to what I said at the beginning. We just don't know which Trump will turn up in the Oval Office come next January. At the event tonight, uh, the notion of middle power coalitions came up quite frequently. Uh, is this something that Australia should be looking to involve itself with? Or does our value for money, if I can put it in uh, those terms, in the alliance mean that we should uh, stick with what we've got? Well, I think we're going to have to do both. We'll have to wait and see um, in terms of, you know, allies generally are now going to have to step up to the plate and do more. They would have had to do more under Clinton. She would have looked to Australia to do more in Asia, particularly on freedom of navigation patrols, I suspect. Um, allies, you know, will now have to understand that alliances themselves are contentious in American politics. Trump has made them contentious. So lest they be seen as free riding, uh, they're going to have to contribute more. But there is also the distinct possibility um, that Australia will have to take up some of the slack if we don't see um, an activist Trump foreign policy in Asia. I think many of the kind of uh, anchors of the US pivot to the region are pretty firmly in place. Of course, not the TPP, which was already, you know, the hearse for that was more or less in the driveway before this election. Uh, Trump has talked about um, uh, renegotiating it or trashing it altogether. Um, I do think there will be more scope for Australia and other US partners in the region and allies to form such coalitions and, as I say, to take up some of the slack if we see you know, a, much, uh, a much less visible American presence. So uh, building our existing relationships with the Japanese uh, and with Singapore and others, I think, will, um, will probably uh, be a kind of a premium a policy objective for, for Canberra uh, in the years ahead. Flipping to Europe now, um, Trump, through the campaign, expressed some hostility towards NATO and in particular uh, the defence spending among NATO members. Um, what, what's your prognosis for NATO going forward? Well, NATO too will be under a lot of pressure to step up to the plate fiscally uh, and depending on what happens with US-Russia relations, uh, I think it's a moot point. I mean, we've seen, we've seen Trump uh, lord the leadership and virtual authoritarianism of Putin to the skies. But if Putin turns around and engages in some kind of aggressive behaviour in Europe, then Trump, I think, will find that he needs those European alliances, that for all uh, his criticism about their inability to meet the budget uh, bottom line, uh, that he will certainly need them if there's any kind of contingency where the US needs to be involved. But in many ways, it's, uh, it's the same kinds of forces that are at op operation in Europe in terms of populism, in terms of resentment towards immigration and minorities, in terms of uh, Europeans feeling that their essence is being drained away by the forces of globalisation. Uh, Trump is likely to find common cause with, a, with that strain of populist leader uh, that, that is coming to the fore in Europe. Uh, the very same forces that prompted Brexit are in some ways, with, with certain differences of course, are in some ways the forces that he has tapped into and, and unleashed uh, in the United States. So like all of the, the kind of wild prognostications that he has made on foreign policy, uh, it may be that governing forces him to acknowledge the inherent value in that system of relationships and alliances that the United States has built up.
But is this man for turning? That's the real question. Is the Trump that we've seen over the last year or so the Trump that we're going to get in the presidency? It may well be. James, thanks for speaking with me. Pleasure, John.